Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today in recognition of International Nurses Day, a salute to the nurses of the U.S. military, dedicated professionals who merge two callings into one career. Also this morning from the archives, part cookbook, part homage, My Mother's Kitchen is a loving celebration of humor, heartbreak, and the enduring legacy of family. And in honor of Mother's Day, we have a special collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, May 12th, 2023. crazy was that uh, story yesterday when uh, we got the uh, news alert yesterday evening about the, well, basically a swatting incident at the uh, Trenton Avenue Walmart. Uh, It was literally less than an hour. uh, It happened less than an hour after my wife and I were were there. Uh, We had to uh, run out and grab a few things, and we had no sooner uh, gotten home, unloaded our stuff. I kind of plopped down on the on the sofa in front of the TV, and uh, my phone went off with the uh, news alert that there that there was an active shooter threat reported to the store that we had just been at. It was crazy, a little, uh, little freaky there. I, that we just missed that by an hour. Um, fortunately, you know, glad everybody was okay and and that uh, nothing came of it. But again, it highlights. The uh, issue of these uh, false reports uh, taking uh, law enforcement off of the streets and investigating what turned out to be a a false report, uh, maybe putting others at risk. But uh, glad everybody is okay. Some scary moments there. So here is something interesting for a Friday. And uh, see if this reflects your experience. A new survey from the conference board shows that American workers are more satisfied with their jobs now than they they have been at any point since the company began polling workers about job satisfaction in 1987. There's more job satisfaction today than at any point in the last 35, 40 years. Uh, 63% of those in the poll say that they were satisfied with their jobs uh, that is more than 2% higher. Now, this is uh, data from 2022, so uh, the tail end of last year. That's uh, 2% higher than the year before, 2021, and up five points since the 2020 edition of the poll. Now, some of that had to do with some workers jumping ship from their old jobs and finding new ones during or after the pandemic. Uh, one of the prime motivators behind this satisfaction jump, the company's experts say, is the tight job market. Openings are plentiful, workers are in demand, and this has inspired many companies to ramp up their job perks and, you know, they're treating their employees well because they want to keep them. Related to this, it says, more flexible working arrangements were another key factor in improving workers' morale. Hybrid workers were the most satisfied with their jobs. Hybrid workers, those who spend some time in the office but also work from home some days. Um, actually, hybrid workers more satisfied with their jobs than fully remote workers. And certainly more 
than those who are in the office full-time. Another big motivator is a positive workplace culture, according to the survey. Uh, Women, I thought this was kind of interesting, women found to be significantly less pleased than their male counterparts in the survey. Um, And that is across 26 different metrics that were measured in the survey, including salary, health benefits, flexibility, chances for advancement, and so on and so forth. To that end, the uh, pollsters at the conference board advised that firms need to be more conscious and intentional about achieving pay equity and addressing the gender gap in order to keep female employees happier. But overall, job satisfaction, the takeaway from this, the highlight uh, headline uh, item here in this survey from the conference board, workers more satisfied with their jobs now than they have been at any point since 1987 when they first started taking the poll. So I don't know how that relates to your experience, but it's kind of interesting nonetheless, especially on a Friday. So uh, speaking of polls, this I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Have you been following this uh, back and forth tit for tat feud between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and the Walt Disney Company. It has been uh, very much in the news, talking about buzzworthy stories. People have been buzzing about this. Or have they? A new poll finds that most Americans really don't care much about the ongoing feud between the two. The uh, governor and potential presidential candidate, as yet unannounced, has been orchestrating a political and legal fight against the House of Mouse, over what he calls the company's wokeness ever since the company criticized a law restricting classroom discussion of LGBTQ issues, the so-called don't say gay bill, which is kind of interesting uh, because it was the former CEO that started all of this and he's been bounced and now uh, Bob Iger is back in charge and has been trying to clean up the mess. But, uh, in true corporate fashion, not backing down uh, in the wake of this, uh, all of this pressure being applied politically. But um, in a new Yahoo News YouGov poll that was released yesterday, only 41% of the people surveyed consider wokeness to be a big problem compared to the 74% who are worried about inflation, 58%. We're concerned about the debt ceiling. 58% who say border security is a big problem. Also outranking wokeness in terms of important issues to be talking about. Racism, new abortion restrictions, and banning books in schools, which actually comes back to the whole uh, woke uh, discussion, the culture wars and, and so on. But I thought that was interesting. Most people, as it turns out, just don't care that much at least don't care that much about the issues that started this whole thing to begin with. So maybe that's something that uh, those in the media need to keep in mind. It's just not something that's uh, all that important to most people. Anyway, the feud continues. Uh, Some of the other most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Now, this is pretty impressive medical news. Researchers have created... Glasses, spectacles, eyeglasses 
that can help fight nearsightedness. Now, when I first saw this on the Newswire, I thought, yeah, so. I mean, (laughs) you know, that's what glasses do. They correct your vision, right? Well, no, this goes beyond uh, vision correction. Uh, The common condition of nearsightedness uh, causes faraway objects to appear blurry and affects 40% of Americans. It is caused, and I didn't know this, but it uh, is caused apparently by the eyeball becoming elongated. Your eyeball becomes, it's no longer round. It's no longer perfectly spherical. And uh, that causes uh, nearsightedness. And these experimental lenses go beyond correcting for the problem and actually help slow the elongation of the eyeball. How about that? Uh, that in turn would slow down vision loss. Doesn't just correct for it. Uh, it actually helps slow down the elongation of the eyeball. They say half of the world might be nearsighted by the year 2050. Forty uh, percent of Americans today, but half the world's population might be nearsighted by 2050. This could slow that down. Um, environmental factors like uh, being inside more often are thought to contribute to the condition. That's kind of interesting. I don't know why. Anyway, uh, I just thought that's a that's amazing a pair of uh, eyeglasses that can actually not just correct the problem, not just uh, correct for the problem, but actually. Uh, help slow down the progression of the uh, of the issue underlying it. Very interesting. Um, this story uh, definitely falls into the uh, most interesting uh, category of the day. And how long has it been since you were a teenager first got your driver's license? I can remember when I was sixteen. I could not wait to get my driver's license. It represented freedom. Uh, didn't have to ask my mom and dad to take me uh, everywhere. You could go on dates. I mean, you know, the driver's license was a rite of passage that every teenager looked forward to. Not so much in this day and age. Fewer and fewer teenagers are motivated to get their driver's license. A recent survey found that 73% of teenagers in California feel driving anxiety. 73%, 54% said the anxiety was intense enough to be called a phobia. As a result, they are delaying the process. Um, Rosalind Thompson of uh, AAA in California said even her own son uh, uh, is a part of this uh, trend. She said he did not get a driver's license until his second year of college. Um. Starting slow and modeling good driving behavior are ways that parents can support their teen through their fear. Top motivations for driving driving included getting a job, hanging out with friends, getting to school on their own, not having to ride the bus. You know, all of those all of those things that we look forward to when we were kids to getting our driver's license. Those are still motivators, but there's this anxiety. And uh, kids today, I just that just boggled my mind. Seventy three percent. Uh, say uh, teenagers uh, feel driving anxiety and they just don't want to get their driver's license. I guess. Weird. I guess, you know, as long as they have the, as long as they have their, their cell phones, they can just call an Uber instead. I guess they don't have to worry about it. 
And finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. I love this story. Put a smile on your face. Uh, Kelsey Hootie. Uh, Hootie. Is that how you read it? Huddy? H-U-D-I-E. Kelsey Huddy of Dearborn, Michigan was not going to let anything stop her from accepting her college diploma. <laughs> Kelsey was in labor last weekend when she walked across the stage at Henry Ford College to accept her bachelor's degree in liberal arts. <laughs> she was actually in labor. Uh, she said uh, even if she had her baby before the walk, she was determined to walk across that stage. Um, after her aunt who works at the school, told administrators about the situation. They let her sit up on the stage and moved her up in the order (laughs) to accommodate the uh, unusual circumstances. (laughs) She didn't have to wait until her name came up alphabetically. They went ahead and pushed her, (laughs) make sure that she gets gets through the line, gets her diploma, so that she can kind of get to the hospital because, you know, extenuating circumstances. But she wasn't going to let anything, I don't care if this baby drops. I'm going to get my diploma. Um, it says both newborn or both mom, Kelsey, and newborn baby, Lila, are now home from the hospital and doing just fine. But and she, and she has her diploma. Now that is dedication. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly to mostly cloudy today with a high in the mid-70s, showers tonight, a low in the mid-60s. The Finley Police Department says the Walmart on Trenton Avenue was evacuated after a threat was made against the store. It happened at around 6 p.m. Thursday. Customers and employees were evacuated from the building and employees were ushered to a far side of the parking lot as police responded and searched the building. After no threat was found, the all-clear was given. The store reopened and employees and customers were allowed back in. Get more on the website. The United Way of Hancock County's Days of Caring is ongoing this week with around 900 volunteers completing more than 100 projects for 39 local agencies. We stopped by the city mission of Finley where Keith and some of his Marathon co-workers were helping out. We like to just uh, give back to the community. Marathon being a central figure here in Finley and uh, today we're out here just uh, putting together a gazebo for the city mission. For them to have a little shade out here in the sunlight, getting a little fresh air. So uh, we're just happy to do it. And in September, the United Way will have a second opportunity for people to help out the community with the fall days of caring. See video on the website. Ohioans have a big vote coming up in a special election over the summer. In August, voters will be asked whether to raise the threshold for passing future constitutional amendments, such as the abortion issue, from a simple majority to 60%. A long-awaited vote came as the State House resounded with cries of protests. Democratic lawmakers produced hand-painted signs from under their seats after the vote and exited the chamber chanting, One person, one vote. The labor-backed group We Are Ohio has announced an immediate launch of its opposition campaign. Dave James, in News. The city of Finley has put up a new batch of hometown hero banners along Main Street to join the ones already on display. We're excited to continue to have these displayed and recognize those who have served our country and those that have you know, even given the ultimate sacrifice or some that are still currently serving. Mayor Christina Mern, you can see the full list of banners that are currently on display and get information about ordering one with this story on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. <music>
As you are probably already aware, this is National Nurses Week. And this morning, we want to take a moment to salute the nurses who serve in the United States Armed Forces. Joining us this morning to share his experience as an Army nurse is First Lieutenant Jason Jackson, a medical surgical staff nurse at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. Thank you for joining us and thank you for your service. First of all, was... Was this something that you had kind of mapped out uh, as a career plan from the start? I'm curious, which came first, deciding to join the Army or deciding to become a nurse? And and how did those paths intersect? Yes, sir, Chris. Uh, First of all, thanks for having me. But my initial plan was to be a nurse before joining the military. Growing up, my mother was hospitalized routinely and... Mm. I saw how the nurses interacted with her and how they um, cared for her and the importance of that care and how they restored her back to health, both physically and spiritually, as well as emotionally as well. So that inspired me to seek a career in nursing. So in 2013, I enlisted in the Army as a licensed practical nurse. While as a practical nurse in the Army, I got an information brief from the Army Medical Department Enlisted Commissioning Program, which is a fully funded program that pays for the education of enlisted soldiers to earn a Bachelor's of Science in Nursing degree at a civilian university. So I applied for that. I was accepted, and I attended the University of West Florida down in Pensacola. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in science of nursing and commissioned in the Army Nurse Corps, which is where I serve today. And I get to provide that same care that my mother got, which was so important to the restoration of her health. That is awesome. Now, I've watched MASH like any dutiful American, and I know how medical teams are critical to the nation's defense. But we're not at war right now. So talk a little bit about how the U.S. Army Medical Department fits into the broader mission of the Army and and the role that uh, you as an Army nurse play uh, in supporting that mission. Yes, Chris. The U.S. Army Medical Department is one of the largest and most comprehensive systems of healthcare in the entire country, serving soldiers, families, and the general public at times. The department also funds soldiers' medical education through programs like I went through myself mm. and scholarships and further provides learning opportunities through multiple training and residency locations. The Army Medical Department is comprised of six corps, and among them is the Army Nurse Corps, representing more than 11,000 soldiers that provide quality health care for military personnel and their families, also providing support in human humanitarian missions and responding to natural disasters, putting them at the forefront of this country's health care. Now, like you said, the typical person might see an Army nurse and think MASH, which yeah. is a role in our military health care system, which is a uh, combat support hospital or field hospital. But when not at times of war, which is the primary function, we serve as a more stateside role um, at uh, civilian institutions or military institutions stateside. So we take care of uh, active duty service members, their family members and beneficiaries in a multitude of settings, whether it be inpatient, outpatient, uh, clinics, surgeries, um, as well as, you know, Um, responding to natural disasters or humanitarian missions, there's really no limitation on what an Army Nurse Corps officer Mm. can do. And it's through the excellent training of the Army Nurse Corps that we can provide uh, these services that we do. I would imagine that for you in your role, that's part of the attraction and part of what makes that an exciting career is uh, all of the different applications that you may be called upon, all the different ways that you may be called upon to serve. 
Yes, sir. Absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest draws to the profession as mm-hmm. far as being an Army Nurse Corps. And that's what, um, you know, that's what really propels me moving forward is the fact that my day can be typically atypical, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. um, what uh, a civilian might see is, you know, mundane, typical nine to five operation. I, I don't know what to expect on a typical day. Um, it can be anything, but typically what I'll see on an inpatient ward is I get report from the offgoing nurse and I develop my course of action thereafter. So whoever might be the sickest or might need the most prompt medical intervention, I see them first. And throughout the course of my shift, which is a 12-hour shift, I might get admissions, discharges. So um, you got to be flexible, able to think on your feet and adapt and overcome. And uh, thanks to the U.S. Army Nurse Corps and the excellent training that I have received, you know, I feel confident in any situation I find myself in. So what would you, what would you say, what advice would you give to someone who might uh, hear us talking and maybe considering a career uh, as an Army nurse? Well, I'd advise them to seek uh, information on their own and make an informed decision about joining the Army Nurse Corps. Uh, there's a multitude of resources at your fingertips. Uh, one of the most prevalent or Go Army is GoArmy.com, as well as just talking to a recruiter or talking to any nurse you might know to you know get an understanding of what they do in their role. But the community in the Army, specifically those medical roles, is, is unmatched. In the Army, you'll have access to lifelong mentorship and camaraderie and support from fellow soldiers that goes well beyond your time in uniform. And as an Army Nurse Corps officer, you have a lot of uh, continuing education at your disposal. So if you want to seek a career in maybe anesthesia or critical care Mm -hmm. or perioperative nursing or, uh, you know, just different disciplines of nursing, the Army has it, I promise you that. And they'll actually fully fund you to attend these courses so that you can get education to become a nurse of that discipline. Um, whereas in the civilian sector, you might have to pay yeah. out of pocket to attend these courses. Um, so that's one of the most tangible benefits of being an Army Nurse Corps officer. No question. There are a myriad of benefits, not the least of which is obviously being a part of that service to your country and the greater good. Again, uh, First Lieutenant Jason Jackson with us this morning is a medical surgical staff nurse at Fort Belvoir in Virginia. You mentioned the website where folks can get more information let's uh, throw that out there again yes sir for more information information can be found on being an army nurse or just any profession in the army at goarmy.com recognizing national nurses week and especially uh, those who serve in more ways than one lieutenant jackson thanks very much once again for your service and thanks for joining us this morning we appreciate it thanks chris it's been a pleasure So, of course, Mother's Day is Sunday, and at the risk of perpetuating stereotypes about women and moms and all of that, who doesn't have a family, a favorite family memory of their mom that starts in the kitchen? And like I know, I said, I, I know that's uh, stereotypical, but it, it is true. I mean, I think everybody has a favorite memory of their mom uh, that revolves around the kitchen. Maybe it's a favorite dish. Maybe it's learning to cook with your mom, whatever it might happen to be. And and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to pull this one out of the archives this morning. Acclaimed writer Peter Gethers is the author of My Mother's Kitchen, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, 
and the Meaning of Life. It is part cookbook, part homage to his mom. And not long ago, we spoke to him about the book and the pretty incredible woman who inspired it. Peter, this book is as much about your own personal journey of discovery, if you will, as it is a memoir of your mom. But your mother was a giant in the culinary world in her day. She absolutely was. And what is particularly interesting, and and I learned many things about her and my family as I was going through the process of writing this book, is that she took her first job ever in her life, and so obviously her first job in the food world, when she was 53 years old. Wow. She was living in Los Angeles with my dad and our family, and a brand-new restaurant opened up called Ma Maison in Los Angeles. My parents were regulars there. They loved it. They thought the food was great. My mother said to the owner one day at lunch, I'd like to be a good French cook. What should I do? And she meant something a little more dilettantish, like, should I go to France and take some cooking lessons? And he said, why don't you come to work in the restaurant three nights a week? We won't pay you. We'll work you to the bone. And at the end of a year, you'll be a good French cook. And much to everybody's shock, my mother instantly went, okay. And the baby chef there was a guy named Wolfgang Puck, who at the time no one had ever heard of. Yeah, I was going to say you might know him now. Yeah, you might have heard of him now. Yeah. And... My mother, by the end of the year, while Wolf was mentoring her in the kitchen, my mother was mentoring him and a whole generation of young chefs who became world famous, like Nancy Silverton and Jonathan Waxman and Dan Barber, and she became their second mother, really. And um, by the end of that year, she was not only the mentor and a good French cook. She opened up a cooking school for the restaurant and suddenly was teaching cooking alongside people like Julia Child. Wow, and amazing. Her, and so really for the next many decades, she was the queen of the cooking world because she was everybody's mother. You know, they were all so young in those days and they'd left home early. Yeah. And the more my mother grew, the more she gained confidence and moved into the this world, the more she realized she had wisdom and strength and something to really offer everybody. Yeah. And she really became the queen of the food world. Now, fast forward uh, several decades. She's in her 80s. She has a stroke, which then robs her of her ability to uh, work in the kitchen. And I, it, it's kind of interesting. This is where it all kind of begins. You decide that you are going to cook for her but then you realize you don't know how to cook. Yes, that's a pretty fair <laughs> assessment. Um, I decided, you know, I, I realized this after the book was written. My publisher said to me that they thought this was a mother-son love story. And I said, you know, it really isn't that. I, I loved my parents equally. They loved me. They are great parents. But what's interesting to me is, Now that it's a mother-son love story, it's a mother-son friendship story. And after my mother had a very debilitating stroke, she was supposed to never speak or move again. Mm. And three weeks after that, she was in rehab. And three weeks after that, she walked into a Christmas party because she refused to be wheeled in. And six weeks after that, she was back in her own apartment. Sounds like she... she couldn't cook... She was amazing. It sounds like she She approached that the same way as she approached learning to cook. 
Well, that's exactly right, and that's part of the lessons that are within the book about what you take out of cooking that apply to real life, which is part of, in my opinion, the part of the value of the book. But she never lost her sense of taste. And so when she was in her mid-80s and had this stroke, I really decided we were now getting to be such good friends, I wanted to know more about her. And the way to do that was through food. So I got her to give me her fantasy breakfast, lunch, and dinner menus, and I cooked them all and cooked them for her and sometimes with her and learned some of the skills that she had learned. And what really sparked this was I asked my mother at the beginning of this process, why was cooking so important to her? And I said, it's because you gave so much pleasure to other people. And she said, no, it was because of what it did for, for her. And I was really surprised, and I said, well, what did it do for you? And again, she was aphasic after the stroke, so it took her a while to come up with the word. And the word she came up with is that she said it gave her a definition. Hmm. And I realized that that's a very comforting thing to have. And so I wanted to really learn how she got that definition and how it provided comfort for her, because I thought that was important. So... That's the journey I took with learning how to cook all these things and talking to her for the whole process. And I, I love what you said about you know that transition uh, in the mother-son relationship, and, and I think we all go through that as as we age and our parents age, and we start to realize and and become very mindful of the you know limited nature of our existence that that uh, relationship kind of evolves over time and and obviously that's a a key uh, aspect of the book as well well what happened and it was sort of symbolized by one particular recipe that really is the easiest thing any living person can make this recipe which is chocolate pudding but it's something my mother would spoon feed me when i was 8 when it was warm our housekeeper and my mother both would uh, take a wooden spoon and the pot of warm chocolate pudding and give it to little eight-year-old me, much to my delight. And when my mother was 93, I recreated this very simple chocolate pudding, not fancy, which, mm-hmm. believe it or not, that was the hardest part is getting something that wasn't, you know, fancy in the year 2016 yeah. uh, when I did it, but to find something that felt like I was eight years old. And at this time, I was spoon-feeding it on a wooden spoon to my 93-year-old mother. And you realize, if you're lucky enough for your parents to get older, uh, there is that role reversal. The parent becomes the child, and the child becomes the parent. And there is a real sharing and sense memory and real sense of closeness as a result of that process. Yeah. It is funny. It is moving. It is a wonderful book. My Mother's Kitchen, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, and the Meaning of Life. Perfect for Mother's Day. Uh, Peter Gathers, thanks very much for taking the time and certainly continued success. Oh, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. 20 years of making mornings good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Sometimes you don't have to go very far to find the broken news. Police say more than a dozen people are in custody after a bizarre drug bust in Lorraine, Ohio. Officers officers served search warrants at two separate homes on 8th Street in Lorraine, 
where they found suspects hiding in walls and even had one fall through the ceiling (laughs) trying to hide from the cops. (laughs) I know we've had uh, stories in the broken news about uh, home infestations. Um, You know, you have infestations of termites or rodents in one story, I think just a week ago or so. We had a, uh, a story about a woman who found there were a bunch of snakes hiding in the walls of her home. <laughs> but these were actual people <laughs> hiding in the walls, and one even fell through the ceiling. That must have been quite a sight when the uh, cops busted in the home. There's nobody there, and then all of a sudden people start literally coming out of the walls and the ceilings. <laughs> in total, 13 people were taken into custody. Police found drugs, guns, and property that had been stolen during various burglaries in the area. so <laughs> Literally, suspects coming out of the woodwork in Lorraine. All right. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, encountering unusual things, uh, police in New Iberia, Louisiana, responded to a local Arby's restaurant where the, they found a body in the freezer. A body uh, found in the freezer of an Arby's uh, restaurant in New Iberia, uh, Louisiana. This happened uh, last night. Police responded to the restaurant where employees reported a body being found inside uh, the freezer. What I thought was <laughs> I thought was unique about this uh, report, which really uh, kind of gave me a chuckle. Uh, the news report goes on to say, police are calling the incident suspicious. <laughs> You think? <laughs> you think that's a little suspicious? I mean, that's not something you would normally expect to find. In the uh, freezer of a fast food restaurant, police are calling the incident suspicious. <laughs> no kidding. All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, from the international file, the broken news, about 60 residents of a small town in Switzerland... Uh, have been ordered to evacuate their homes because there is a chance, a chance, that a mountain will fall on top of their village. (laughs) Now, again, you typically get evacuation orders for, I don't know, floods or fires, um, you know, train derailments, you know, all of these types of things uh, are, are fairly common. Uh, asking people to uh, evacuate their homes for these types of things. Very rarely do you have an evacuation because a mountain is going to fall on the village. Uh, The uh, residents have to leave by tonight, and visitors have been banned from entering the village. Geologists fear a large chunk of the mountain above the village may fall down all at once, although they do concede that it is more likely it will move slowly uh, sort of like, as they put it, vicious honey. <laughs> All right. Residents have already experienced boulders falling into their gardens. The uh, church's 500-year-old altarpiece will be moved to a safe location so that it is not crushed uh, when the mountain comes. It's only about a 10% chance, but you know what? I think I would, I think I would evacuate. I'm not going to play around. If there's even a 10% chance that a mountain is going to fall on my town... I think that would be enough to motivate me to get out. 
I don't know if they're getting any pushback from residents who don't who don't want to leave. But uh, I would think when the cops, can you imagine the cops driving around town? We ask that you evacuate. There is a mountain that's going to fall on your town. I think I would pay attention, yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a couple of other items here. This is kind of uh, interesting from, uh, I'm not sure where exactly uh, this is. A wedding photographer has gone viral for sharing uh, an exchange that she had recently with a former client who had requested a refund. The uh, wedding photographer was contacted by a former client, um, said, I'm sorry, I, I would like a refund of the money that I that I paid you to photograph our wedding. Uh, it's not that she was, it's not that the client was dissatisfied with the photographer's work. The reason she felt she deserved a refund was because she is now getting divorced. <laughs> I'm getting divorced now and I don't need your photos anymore, so I want a refund. Uh, according to screenshots of the email exchange shared on Twitter by photographer Lance Romeo, the woman reminded him that he was hired for a wedding day photo shoot you did a wonderful job on the photos, but they went to waste as we are now divorced. So I would, uh, so I now need a refund of the amount we paid you because we don't need them anymore. <laughs> that's not the way that works. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's not the way that works. Mr. Romero refused the request, explaining that his services are non-refundable, to which the former client then claimed she f- uh, forwarded the conversation to her lawyer. Um... And as a kicker on this story, that's not where the whole encounter ends. In an unexpected twist, the former client then requested to hire the photographer for a divorce shoot. <laughs> you did such a wonderful job, and I want, a, I want a refund, but you did such a wonderful job. I'd like you to take photos of our divorce. Uh, Mr. Romero politely declined the offer. <laughs> All right. I don't know. That may be a uh, a growth opportunity for a wedding. You know, half of all uh, weddings end in divorce. That could be a, a good follow-up uh, opportunity for you. Wedding photographer. Um, Michael Williams of St. Louis, Missouri, uh, has an interesting conundrum. Apparently, he took a flight uh, back in 2020 on American Airlines. He was flying... From Indianapolis to Charlotte. Now, he's from St. Louis, so why he was flying from Indianapolis to Charlotte, I have no idea. But that's not the main point of the story. So he was on this flight, this American Airlines, and and the airline lost his prosthetic leg. Now, I've heard of, you know, airlines losing luggage, things like that. But this has got to be a first. American lost his prosthetic leg, and now they won't reimburse him for it. Um, Mr. Williams submitted a claim for the missing leg, which was, by the way, in his luggage. It's the luggage that was lost, and his leg was in the luggage. Uh, he submitted a claim and received a check for $600, but uh, the leg, uh, prosthesis, are not cheap. The leg uh, was worth $26,000. They gave him 600 bucks. When he followed up, 
to <laughs> to say, hey, this isn't enough. Mr. Williams claims the American Airlines representative said there was not enough proof or evidence to pay for the leg. <laughs> How much evidence do you want? <laughs> he is missing a leg. That's... <laughs> Uh, Mr. Williams is still hoping the airline will reconsider its decision. So, <laughs> we'll follow that story. And f- <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, uh, this from the International File, uh, an animal rights group has, uh, I guess, claimed victory here. The snake show is now history at the historic Moulin Rouge Cabaret in Paris. The Moulin Rouge has dropped a long-running act in which a dancer swims around in a tank with snakes. Um, animal rights campaigners uh, said the snakes involved... So this is the, this is the story, and this is why uh, I thought this was rather humorous. Uh, animal rights campaigners said the snakes involved a Southeast Asian reticulated snake and Indian pythons are actual actually terrestrial species they don't live in the water and during the act they could be seen trying to keep their heads above the water so they didn't drown they were too busy trying to survive to I mean you would think somebody swimming with snakes that would be rather dangerous but these weren't water snakes they were land-based snakes and the, <laughs> the snakes were too busy trying not to drown to be concerned with uh, you know biting or or harming the <laughs> the swimmers <laughs> so the uh, club uh in the face of pressure has uh, discontinued the uh, water snake act uh they have also added uh that next year they plan to end all their shows involving live animals but this they've already canceled and i think it's probably i mean i'm not i'm not a big fan of snakes but it does seem <laughs> a little unfair to put uh land based snakes that can't swim into a water tank uh, <laughs> that seems a little disingenuous. There you go. Uh, that is today's broken news report, the odd and unusual side of the news. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Ever wonder what being a Findlay Rotarian is all about? I'm Alyssa Preston, director of the Hancock County Convention and Visitors Bureau. I am proud to be a Findlay Rotarian because locally we make an impact by recognizing amazing educators in the Findlay and Hancock County area through the Golden Apple Award. To become part of an organization that brings together business, professional leaders to provide community service and advance goodwill, contact Findlay Rotary at findlayrotary.org and click on join. This message provided by WFIN. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. With Mother's Day coming up on Sunday, a new survey, uh, 2,000 Americans were asked to name their favorite celebrity mom. Real or fictional? Favorite celebrity mom. Could be a real person or a fictional character. You know who came up number one? Uh, on this list, I, I was amazed. Not I was beyond surprised. I was stunned at, at this. Uh, the number one favorite mom, Lois Griffin from the TV show Family Guy, <laughs> was the was the number one mom in this survey. Two thousand Americans uh, were surveyed. Uh, number two on the list, Michelle Obama, which I thought was kind of interesting. Serena Williams was named the third 
favorite celebrity mom. Beyonce was number four. Okay. Jennifer Lopez, number five. Uh, the rest of the top ten, Rihanna, Drew Barrymore. I didn't even know Drew Barrymore was a mom, but apparently so. Goldie Hawn, Kate Middleton. Now, there's a great mom, uh, Kate Middleton. Again, I'm not a big, huge fan of the British royal family, but that cannot be easy to be a mom of uh, in the royal family. you know. Uh, and Carol Brady came in number 10. All of these years, 50 years after the Brady Bunch went off the air, Carol Brady is still uh, among the top 10 favorite celebrity moms. So there you go, for uh, for better or, or worse. Uh, by the way, some of the others that uh, made the top 20 include Morticia Adams <laughs> from the Adams Family, uh, Peg Bundy from uh, Married with Children, uh, Madonna was on the list, okay, um, I'm not sure if uh, I would identify Madonna. I I guess these were not necessarily best moms, (laughs) just favorite moms, favorite celebrity moms. Uh, The character of Joyce Byers from Netflix's Stranger Things. Uh, Sarah Connor from the Terminator franchise. And uh, Cameron Diaz was number 20 uh, on the list. So anyway, just some of the... Uh, Favorite celebrity moms, according to this uh, survey, crazy. Lois Griffin from Family Guy was uh, number one on the list. By the way, 43% of those in the survey say that their mom is one of their best friends. 43% consider mom one of their best friends. And I was actually surprised that that number wasn't even a little bit higher. So big salute to all of the moms and those who love them. Now, once again, to finish up the week, my wife Kyra has joined us in the studio with a special collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen in honor of Mother's Day. Good morning. Very much for... uh, This is a great collection uh, because we have uh, one of your favorite recipes for Mother's Day, one of your mom's favorite recipes... One and of then, my favorite recipes of my mom's. One of you, one of your my your favorite, favorite recipe. recipes of my mom's. So this is not your mom's favorite recipe. Well, I mean, she it made might it. Be. It might be, <laughs> but she made it. I loved it. Okay, so and it's so your favorite is, recipe yeah, that your this, mom yes. Uh, made. And then uh, we have a uh, special recipe from one of your uh, best friends. Yeah, and, best and friend, mom. and and she uh, posted it on uh, the Kyra's kitchen. Uh, and Facebook page, Facebook right. page when I uh, put the stuff up. So and, yeah, it's her favorite uh, recipe of her mom's. Of her so, mom's. Yeah. So first of all, uh, this is your favorite Mother's Day recipe. Yes. Uh, for grilled chicken drumsticks. Yes. And these are yummy. Yeah. So the marinade is a half a stick of butter, a quarter cup of water, a half a cup of apple cider vinegar, four teaspoons of salt, one teaspoon pepper quarter teaspoon garlic powder, two tablespoons of Worcestershire sauce, two pounds of chicken drumsticks, and a barbecue sauce if you want for dipping. That's I like that. Mm-hmm. So, so melt your butter in a medium saucepan on medium-low heat. Add the water, uh, cider, salt, pepper, garlic powder, and the sauce. Let cook for about 15 minutes. 
turn off heat and let that cool. Uh, preheat your grill to medium-low heat, approximately 375 to 400 degrees. Spray the grill grates uh, with a nonstick cooking spray uh, to prevent the chicken from sticking to the grates. Um, place the drumsticks on direct heat and brush um, with the uh, marinade. Uh, grill for 40 minutes, but flipping every 10 minutes. But mm. the big thing about flipping chicken on your grill yeah. is that if it doesn't release, then don't flip it. It's okay. You'll it will smoothly release um, when it is ready to. Assuming flip. that you've prepared it Correct. properly. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Now, some people would use like aluminum foil or one right. of those uh, yeah. uh, the pads right. that you can get. Yeah. That, Your uh, flavor is going to be. But you would, might be destroyed yeah, you, <laughs> because that's one of the things with grilling is is the flavor yeah, you from get your grates. Right there on yeah, the, on, on the, the grate because they've so, been seasoned. But yeah, you can uh, do that because the grate's mm-hmm. been seasoned and all of that. Yep. So yep. as long as you prepare it okay, correct, uh, you'll be able to flip it. Yes. Okay. So yep. every ten minutes, every ten minutes, for brushing minutes. with the marinade each time you flip it. So you marinate it each time each you flip it. Each time you flip okay, it. Very good. Yep. Uh, and they are great marinated yes. grilled chicken drumsticks. To go along with that, and this is uh, your, and I thought this was kind of interesting. I never, I never knew this. We've been married for how many years, and I did not know that this was your favorite of your mom's recipe. Yes, uh, recipes for scalloped potatoes yes. of all oh, things. I love her scalloped potatoes, and <laughs> it, the fun thing with my mom's scalloped potatoes was um, the crusty ends that that brown at you the know, edge of the yeah dish. on the edges. Yeah. I that's that's <laughs> what I wanted. I wanted that kind of like so. the. Bur- Kind of like the burnt French fries, yes, or the yes. Uh, uh, dark potato chip. Yes, you know, yep. So I am. Yep, that's me. <laughs> the recipe for scalloped potatoes. So this is a quarter cup of butter, quarter cup of flour, three cups of milk warmed in the microwave, uh, salt and pepper to taste, and three pounds of white potatoes sliced about eight inch thick. A, eight and, and eighth, eighth of an, of an inch. inch. Not eight inches yes. thick. Eighth and eighth, eighth, eighth of, of an, an inch, inch thick. thick. Yeah. I mean, fairly fairly thin. Yeah. Uh, preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, to make the sauce, melt your butter over medium-low heat. Add your flour and cook for about one to two minutes. You're kind of, it's going to get kind of a little bit of a golden brown. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, reduce your heat and then slowly add your milk. Um, and warming the milk of the microwave makes this process go a little bit faster gotcha. to thicken up that. Okay. If you don't warm it up, it's fine. It's just going to take a l- little bit longer. Gotcha. So use your whisk um, and keep going with that until it's all thick. Bring it to a boil over medium heat and conti- continue whisking it so you don't get lumps. Then stir in your salt and pepper. Let it boil for about a minute. Grease uh, your 9 by 13 inch baking dish. Place half of the potatoes in the bottom of your prepared baking dish. Add a little bit of um, uh, cooking spray mm-hmm. at the bottom. Then add your, a little bit of your potatoes. Then your sauce. Then more potatoes. Then your sauce. Yeah. So and then if you want it. to, you can. If you want more taste, salt and pepper taste, you can kind of add just sprinkle a little bit more salt and pepper on it if mm-hmm. you want to. Uh, cover and bake for forty five minutes. Uncover and bake an additional 35 to 40 minutes. That's what gets that crispy, yummy. Mm. 45 minutes to 50 minutes might even make it a little bit more crispier on those ends. <laughs> so you're actually kind of baking it twice. You're Correct. baking it for 45 minutes, Get then those you're potatoes. uncovering it yeah. and baking it again. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, and then allow to rest for about 15 minutes and serve. Mm-hmm. So uh, the uh, 
Scalloped potatoes go along with the uh, marinated grilled chicken drumsticks and then for dessert. And this is uh, Betsy's mom's yes. recipe. Yes. Uh, thanks for sharing on Facebook. No-bake cherry cheesecake. Yes. So this is a one-eighth one eight ounce block of cream cheese at room temperature, one 14-ounce can of sweetened condensed milk, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, one eight-ounce container of whipped topping, your, your Cool Whip, Mm-hmm. Um, one nine inch ready made graham cracker pie crust, or if you have your own that you like your recipe, feel free to do that also. Mm-hmm. Uh, one twenty one ounce can of Kroger extra cherry pie filling. So it has to be specifically Except this. It, yes, if you get this. the irregular pie filling, mm-hmm. it, there's not enough cherries in it. <laughs> okay. This has extra cherries in it, okay. so you have to get this. All right. So if you want to do this recipe, because that's what my best friend said. A free uh, <laughs> a, a free plug for Kroger. There. Yes, uh, there you go. Extra cherry. And pie yeah, pie. I know. So in an in an electric mixer on medium speed, combine your cream cheese, your sweetened condensed milk, and your vanilla extract. Fold in the container of whipped topping and uh, mix that up a little bit. Pour into your ready-made graham cracker pie crust. Top with your Kroger extra cherry pie filling. Uh, regular, like it says, regular pie filling does not have enough cherries. So if you use regular, I guess maybe just in like a can and a half or something. No, because just- that's uh, because then you're going to get more filling. So okay. I guess if nothing else, you could get some cherries, but. This recipe calls for the extra cherry pie <laughs> okay. filling from Kroger. Very specific. All right. This is what sets it apart from That's right. every other yes, no-bake cherry cheesecake out there. This is why this makes it her oh, mom's okay. recipe. All right, then. Chill in the refrigerator for two to four hours before serving right. and then enjoy. There you go. So uh, for Mother's Day, this would be a great, yes. uh, oh, perfect. great dinner for, yes. for mom. Uh, the marinated grilled chicken drumsticks, the scalloped potatoes, and the no-bake cherry cheesecake. All of those are posted on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page yep. uh, at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook, uh, where we encourage you to share your favorite oh, uh, yes, recipe please. from your mom. I love uh, this. That's, this yeah. that's great stuff. These so, stories please. and this type of stuff. Yeah, it's share, awesome. Share uh, your favorite recipe and why it's your favorite recipe yes. uh, there on the uh, Facebook page. We also have a link up at goodmornings.net if you want to check it out. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. That is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday on the program, U.S. Senate candidate Matt Dolan will join us live to discuss how a failed bid to succeed Rob Portman last election springboarded his effort to unseat Sherrod Brown in the upcoming election. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. Happy Mother's Day. We'll catch you back here next week.